1: Hi friends, Editor Alex here. I just wanted to do a quick introduction for this audio recording of Let's Talk About Cycling and Mental Health. It's been something that's cropped up in numerous events that we've hosted at Look Mum No Hands, other events that I've been to, and it was actually on this podcast that I did a shout out and I said, any events that you would like us to host, get in touch, let me know, maybe... So it was at, I believe, the specialised event. Someone came up to me and said, I'd like you to do an event about cycling and mental health. From that, we tweeted and said, who's interested in helping us organise an event about this? That's how we got in touch with Sarah Strong. Sarah met me and Jenny at an event. She curated the evening. She organised the speakers. It was already moving and powerful panel. Big, big, big thank you, Sarah, for organising this. Thank you to our host, Rebecca Charlton. Our speakers, Adele Mitchell, Bruce Carsten, Jules Walker, and Rowan Gosh. I also want to say thank you to Leslie for taking the time to help live-tweet the event, and Kaz from the North London Thundercats Black Metal Bicycle Club for helping with our Facebook Live as well. And I don't want to take up any more of your time. I'm going to put links below, and I'm going to let you listen to it now.
2: So I'm Rebecca, and I'm going to be chairing tonight, but I wanted to start by saying it's really about you, our audience, our panellists, and really getting an open discussion going tonight, so we'll get interactive a little bit later on, as well as taking some questions from Twitter and social media. And remind me of the hashtag, is it CyclingMH? It's, yeah, CyclingMH, underscore, Cycling, underscore, and then capital M capital H, if you want to um, involve the conversations going on Twitter. Yeah, so please do get involved and give us your uh, insight there as well. So before we go any further, please join me in welcoming tonight's panel. Please put your hands together for Adele Mitchell, George
3: Walker, Chris Gaston, Oliver, and the lady that has made tonight possible to put it all together at Fair Strong.
2: Thank you. Over to Sarah to talk a little bit more about tonight and why we're here and and why it was so important to her to put tonight on. I wanted to add a little bit of insight from my perspective as a journalist. And after many years of working in print journalism, I've interviewed so many people, as you can imagine, about the benefits of cycling and how much it can improve your state of mind, help with weight loss, help with general well being. And we all know it's a fantastically positive sport. It brings friendship, support, networks, and it's truly brilliant. But something that struck me is that we perhaps didn't then look beyond the headline of, well, I have depression and now I'm great thanks to cycling. And actually six months, a year down the line and beyond that, what happens when you have a crash or you get too ill to be able to ride a bike at that point? Do you still have that? support network well, you still have those tools to turn to when you can't necessarily ride your bike which is the thing that helps you progress in the first place and I know that we've got some speakers here tonight that are very happy to be open and, and give anecdotes of the times where they've had a very great relationship with cycling and when times have been a little bit more of a struggle and I'm sure a lot of people here can relate to that so there's real ups and downs with it and I think it's important that we all acknowledge that but as I say, without further ado, let's hand over to Sarah and tell us a little bit about why we're here. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Um, I was thinking when I was proposing this, around about sort of June, July, um, like all the best events, um, with the sort of fervent belief, uh, post beer that something should be kind of put on. It's a really good idea to do something like this. I was thinking maybe there'll be about 15 to
0: 20 people,
2: you know, enough for it not to be about Um <laughs> And uh, I really didn't expect the the result of the feedback. So thank you very much for everyone for coming along today. I think it has underscored the fact that a lot of these conversations do need to, to happen. Um, there's lots of um, sort of discussions about sort of awareness, but actually doing something a bit more practical than that and, and going the, for the next step and, and, um, and having a kind of conversation rather than just um, kind of talking about it in a very sort of uh, social media bubble or. Or just sort of campaigning, but actually getting down to the nitty gritty of having conversations one to one or with groups. Um, some of you know me, most of you won't. Um, I've sort of been lurking around the various circles of London cycling um, over the last like, 40, 50 years. Um, and whether that's uh, organising uh, mountain bike races, marshalling events like the Spockton, Crit Racing. A um, bit of track cycling, run um, Cross race. Um, it, it, my city's got dirty, I didn't like it. Um, and uh, just sort of what the conversations that seemed to sort of come up again and again uh, were about this, this sort of seemed to be this huge overlap between cycling and people who experience depression, anxiety, uh, and other mental health issues, health issues, but particularly depression uh, and anxiety. And, and I was just sort of curious, it seemed to be higher than the national average, which I think, depending on the sources you look at, are somewhere between sort of one in four and one in three people within the UK will go through depression uh, in any given year, which is huge. So um, I was sort of wanting to sort of focus on that. And because I have a uh, very personal kind of experience myself, um, the reason I got into cycling. Um uh, was when I was recovering from depression in 2003. And it was kind of by accident. I, my then housemaid said, well, do you want to come and help her marshal the race um, the bike club are doing? Because gonna... she knew I'd be lucky. I was around the house, I signed off work, um, and she thought it would be, kind of, be something different for me to experience. Um, and I ended up getting involved with Eastway mountain bike races, uh, which were then on the old Eastway track, which was then the Olympics later on. Uh, and it was this, it, like many people it ticked so many boxes, it uh, gave me exercise, it gave me a new social circle, um, cycling was a way of focusing on uh, the physical and lessen the rumination that goes with a lot of depression and anxiety, um, and I think I probably fell into one of those, cycling is brilliant, it just hits everything, it's, it's, it's great, but then as you're Experience, I think the cycling world goes on, and you might do, particularly when it comes to doing competitive cycling, you realize that it's not all rainbows and unicorns, and actually there's a kind of flip side to it where um, you can end up exacerbating your anxiety and depression depending on the focus and the pressures you put on yourself in those particular um, environments. So, I mean, I sort of contributed um, a few pieces a little while back. To of uh, internet sort of uh, total women cycling, but also to cycling weekly, and there were these sort of faces the, the phrases that came up: "Cycling saved my life," um, and it was that sort of sense that it was a kind of almost in, implying that it was a cure-all. And you get things like this that you you there are plenty of motivational messages which actually kind of uh, annoy me quite a bit too. So things like "You cannot be cycling a bicycle." Yes, you're back again. Um, <laughs> you can be crying and riding a bicycle. It's been quite easy. Um, and that it's, um, and, yeah, I don't need therapy. I just need to go cycling. <laughs>
3: um,
2: I actually I think, if anything, the sort of, you know, don't run away from your problems cycling is much faster um, is something that came up a few weeks ago. If anyone was here for the Venture Syndicate talk, where particularly with endurance events, that have centre. Actually, we're doing these to actually kind of escape from our problems, um, but also we've brought up conditions about mental health of um, what do you do when you get back and you've got to adjust from something that's given you huge highs and lows to, oh, crap, I've got to go and buy milk. Um, and just those sort of shifts in, in, in dynamics and kind of emotions, and how you handle them. Um, so I thought, well, I want something to counter that. So I, I, Googled, I did a Google image search for depressed cyclists um, and awkwardly, the, of the first three images that came, uh, of the five images came up, the first three are of me, um, <laughs> which um, fuck. Um, so, uh, okay, right. Um, I, I watch out for tax people. Um, be careful of uh, of uh, of your <laughs> your image check because well um, yeah, I'm a good company now with Ray O'Brie and some random um, stock photo kind of hip which is great. Um, but I think it's, the thing that we wanted to cover this evening is that in the past, the idea of cycling as an absolute kind of cure-all, I mean, it's not realistic. And um, to have a look at the other sides of that, of the highs and lows of competitive cycling, or just how you react as well within... As you go through that very steep learning curve about your own mental health and how it interacts with your life and cycling and how to manage that, um, I think what we we sort of wanted to, of this out of this evening is to again, just have those kind of conversations. Say we're in a sort of a space where a lot of people you know will, will have experienced that A similar idea. We all have our individual experiences, but there's an awful lot of overlap um, of how we react there, and it's kind of good to have that chat in an open space um, and hopefully we can continue doing that and also if we can provide a bit of information um, about where to go and what sources of help to kind of access you will see that there is some handouts um, which I've I've, I've sort of cobbled together um, but hopefully we can at the end of the evening we can talk a little bit more um, about perhaps our i kind of ask questions about our individual experience and we can have a bit more of a discussion and QA. Um, but we're hoping at the, the end of the evening we can kind of give you a sense that even if things are tough now, that maybe everything isn't hopeless bullshit and that even if it seems really tough, that there is kind of light like at the end of the tunnel. Because it seems when you're in it and you're so um, immersed in you know, kind of mental health, depression anxiety, it's very difficult to see beyond it. Um, but it is possible to. To outside, it might be cycling. It might be a combination of cycling and other things. Um, but uh, there are sort of avenues and sources that you can use to improve your situation, whatever that may be. Um, I think I've battled on quite enough now, so I'm good. At this juncture, we're going to have a a lovely short clip, um, and then you'll hear from the rest of the panelists. Um, but thank you for listening to me briefly, and uh, okay, we'll come back at the end of the evening and we'll take a few more questions and have a bit more chat. I realised that, you
4: know, I've got a bit over here and I there's a lot of other people out there, so many people struggling and I thought, right, if we go for an honesty then, um, that's great. Kind of, boss, I was it didn't seem great, but I realised in retrospect that it was a great thing to do because um, I feel hurt, but there was book itself and I thought, I know, well, you know what, it's going to function and if people are going to be saying, thanks, right and it's honestly I think a lot of people have to do with um, Have resentments and, mm. and um, ill feeling or uh, anger or suppressed. So There's a lot of suppressed feelings and actually not just tell people, Oh, excuse me, if they can, <laughs> if, 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 you're taking you are taking a loan on me. and uh, deal with things, not let things fester not worrying about things, deal with them right away. I've got a certain mixture but I don't I don't let too much negative the again. There's something annoying I've got to deal with it right away because you can't let things fester Actually cycle is both good and bad because it's, it's a way you can use it <clears throat> as a form of hiding away. Like cycle out on your own and work around the countryside on your own. It's the same as hiding a fortune on, which I did in childhood. So that can be escapism. So I've to use it as a positive way for exercise and to try and engage with people. And I think if you can do more than something. So like I can actually talk to people. Not people in the public have real conversation. Have real conversation, conversations, much possessions with people. If you've got if you're seeking extreme endurance events, then that's a sign that you're actually using that event as a hide from something. You're still hiding away You use that as a form of suppression rather than um making you because it's going to bite right along with the seafront and listening to seagulls and watching just nature is therapeutic. If you know what's actually eating up yourself, what you were going to tell somebody thinks it's annoying you, then you know what's actually eating up. And they go out, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do What it? well, is your job or your situation or whatever? Sometimes you find know it, you have to deal with the Sometimes um, you can't change things with your, your your social situation, but you can find the of dealing with it or with it. It's, it's a hard one, you just can't see to your friends. Don't go off, oh, you're also depressed to your friends because they go oh well. They can't really help you, aren't they? What they can do really to help you go to, go to your friends and say, listen, what are you doing today? Pick up the phone text people saying, oh, I've not seen Phil, could you to catch up in the um, you for coffee? And they'd say, oh, she's a bit flat, she's a bit flat, but we wouldn't catch up here in, in, in your fair junior, um, and, and that's something you don't Anyway, good luck in your bike ride, right? more than anything, enjoy, give me some interesting people, and stay night.
2: <laughs> hello we're back <laughs> so so for anyone watching at home on facebook Live, for anyone that could hear that very well from the back that was graham o'bree talking about his battle with depression which has been quite well documented in the press um and there's various topics there about keeping the conversation going that of course we can expand on more throughout this evening so now i'm going to hand over to bruce from uh, stolen goat is a brand ambassador for then to bruce over to you
5: hi good evening everybody um, i just want to say thank you for the opportunity to speak this evening um, i'm i'm not an authority on, on depression um, other than that I, I do suffer from depression uh, so what i'm going to share with you tonight um, is just a little bit i suppose about the raw raw reality of it um, uh, it's been about three months and 16 days since I had a breakdown. Um, uh, so it's—I uh, count the days like anybody else, I suppose—who suffered from anything and, and put it behind. Uh, each day for me is a step forward. Um, and I think on the on the way on the way to recognising it, um, I made a decision that I wanted to talk about it. Um, I'm 36 years old. Um, I've got a lot, a lot of life left in me. And there's a lot of guys and, and girls out there that, that will be experiencing or have experienced what I've gone through and, um, and maybe not have the opportunity to talk. Uh, I've been given the gift of the gab. I've spent most of my life, 14 years as a teacher, so talking is not an issue for me. Um, and so it's just coming to the point where I can talk about this. Um, that, that's, been, that's been the key. Um, about May this year, uh, it's it the end of the year for, for the teachers and, and things start to get tough and um, this year it just seemed to be a little bit different. Uh, you always go through tough parts and then you get the holidays. You get those uh, two thirds of the year that everybody tells you you get for holiday. You can just put your feet up. And so I kind of was looking towards that. Um, but things started to get a bit tough and um, I've, I've written a couple of things down. I'm going to read them because I think where I've written them uh, since, since I experienced them kind of puts me into a little bit of perspective. And um, things started to show themselves like uh, I felt down for no reason, no explanation. Uh, I just knew that I was feeling down and I needed to be alone. It sounds pretty standard, but it, it was really real, that the, the compelling feeling of I just didn't want to be around people. Um, the fact that I can put six sentences together this evening uh, is another testament that I'm coming out of I used to stutter. I, I couldn't sit in front of even my, my wife and have a conversation without stuttering so badly that I burst into tears. I stayed quiet in meetings for fear of ending up stuttering, which... I knew it would manifest itself the minute I put myself under pressure. I was definitely trying to avoid these and trying to control my emotion for fear of bursting out in front of my colleagues. I'm a 36 year old South African. I don't cry, but I was going to cry. Um, mistakes became evident. Uh, I prided myself in being really good at my job um, and I started to muck up and, and a lot, and I was, it became obvious to me. Um, I was tired and not sleeping. Uh, I think. In the last two weeks, is the first time I've slept through the whole night. I think if I've had three hours consistent sleep in a night in the last three months, that's probably I'm stoked. That's a good thing. Um, so that was starting to take its toll. Um, I felt and looked like a mess, and so I started to work on my outward appearance. I'd go to the barber for a shave and a haircut. Mother, I've got much hair to talk of, but I thought that if I at least looked decent, then I could get through the day. But inside it, I definitely knew that I wasn't right. I started to head off to the bathroom to cry a lot during work. I would find reasons to do it. You know, I'm feeling ill or whatever. But i had just be away and I couldn't do anything but cry. And um, this continued for, for a long time. And, I, and I'd used other reasons to explain why I wasn't attending meetings, wasn't attending events. Um, and in fact, I actually blamed it on cycling to one to one particular end. Um, that didn't work very well for me, but I was happy that that cycling took the hit and I was going on a trip to France with some mates. And that trip in a way became the beginning of the time for me to, to get better. Uh, I went on the trip and some of these mates are sat here tonight and, and I think at some point that was good fun, but in some points I think it was absolute hell to live with um, and one day, uh, Graham talks about the endurance and kind of hiding. Um, something happened while we were away, and um, I just, I just rode. I don't know, it must have been eighty or hundred k. I don't know. And I just, I just rode. I rode hard. I didn't care who was behind me. I knew I was in a lot of pain, and I think I got to the end of the ride, and I just fell off the bike, and 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 I was kind of finished. It was pouring the rain, and I just sat outside. And at that point, I just realized that actually things weren't, weren't getting better. I came back to the UK and I spent the next day in bed, spent the next day in bed. Uh, I phoned one of the guys here who let me chat to his wife and she said, you really need to get to the doctor. Um, you, you need to do something about it. But deep down inside, I kind of knew that if I did something about it, it would change that minute. I couldn't, I, I couldn't continue in my life uh, as a teacher and a carer and so forth in my head. I'd have to give up so much the minute I disclosed or somebody then diagnosed that I was suffering from depression. And so it kind of put me off. Uh, and, and I went to see my doctor and she said, you know, don't worry about it, you're a teacher, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Do a bit of exercise, cycling's good. You know, do that if you can. Have a good holiday. Get away from things and, and you'll come good. Don't worry about it. And so I took that as literal. And I said to Helen, I don't have time to worry about. Um, I'm, I'm on the mend, I just need a bit of a holiday. And the rest of that week was terrible. It ended up that on the Friday, I phoned every practice within five miles of where I lived to try and speak to speak to somebody who could help me, and no, nobody was available. I had to wait till the Monday, and um, that day, my wife and I went to a doctor, and she talked me through the fact that I was suffering from severe depression, and uh, and I just just gave over to it. I realised, okay, you, you, you've got it, you've got depression. And no matter what you're going to do, you're going to have to deal with it. And so I went on medication from that day. Medication that um, pretty heavy stuff. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I mean, if you've got depression and, and medication is a thing that's going to help you, it's, it's hard, and there's side effect. Um, and, and but I I can now sit in front of you uh, three months on, having a conversation because of a support network that I've got, and my wife has been incredible. If you've got a partner or a best friend or a wife or a husband. Um, that can stand by you I think that's key um, it's, it's like you've got a broken arm I've got depression um, I, I have a faith as well I'm a Christian that's important to me it's something else that I, I lean on very heavily uh, and, um, and that supports me and I rely on that and I've got a good bunch of friends um, close friends who didn't judge me when I just wanted to ride uh, I didn't talk because talking meant I would stutter I stutter would mean that I'd cry and crying meant that I you know, couldn't look good um, but i just just be able to ride with them. They didn't ask me how I was doing because I couldn't tell them how I was doing. Um, I didn't know myself how I was doing. Um, and, and that's been the journey. And the part that for me is that cycling has always been a part of my life. It was the thing that I ran to in the beginning. Um, in during events, I performed well. I did a bit of competition. Um, and I did fairly well for what I thought for my age group. But I noticed that as I was getting ill, that was on the down as well. And I used, to, I used to head to the shop on the way home. I'd actively drive a route home that meant I could stop at a cafe to buy a Diet Coke, because it's Diet Coke, Coke Zero, to be fair, and then finish a 500-gram block of chocolate um, before I got home. And if I finished it before I got home, I'd probably stop at the cafe just before home to buy another one that I could have at home. And the feeling that I had after that was terrible, because cyclists don't eat chocolate. Um, Cyclists don't eat fizzy drinks. don't drink fizzy drinks. We've meant to have these bodies that perform on the bike, and so I then feel terrible about that. And I want to get on the trainer, but when I got on the trainer, my numbers and my data weren't adding up because I was feeling unfit, and the medication was playing on that. And so I started not to cycle, and didn't want to go up to my mates because once I was competitive, and now I was the guy at the back and struggling and not able to complete fifty k, and and so it just became this this fight between something that was good something that was now pulling me down. And it's only been about a month until I changed the mindset I was in. I think cycling is not something that saved me. There's other stuff in my life that saved me, and I'm a Christian, that's my, that's my hope. But my cycling is something that helps me. It's, it's like the medication I take. The medication helps me with adrenaline, it helps me with slow release in the day so I can get through a day positively. Cycling adds to that. I get on the bike and I have a good feeling, but when I get home, I've still got to deal with life. And I think we mustn't run away from the things we've got to deal with in life by using sport. Sport is, is a means to ten. Um And I love cycling. And um, I hope to compete in the age group worlds later next, uh, next year. Um, I, I hope that my medication, uh, being a cyclist, the first thing I did, I'm gonna show you, because I meant to read some other stuff, but I'm gonna show you this. It's quite funny. Well, I find it funny. So, when the doctor prescribed me medication, the first thing I said to her was, is it on the band list? <laughs> she didn't know. what so I said, is it? I'm a cyclist, and I can't take stuff that will mean I'm on the band list. And my wife's saying, I don't about it. I need to know. So anyway, they did, she didn't know. My wife didn't, couldn't tell me. And so I went onto WADA's list, and I printed it off. So I've got it here. I carry it in my back pocket. It says... The ingredients and the state to drug them on. Root of administration, as long as it's not intravenous, I'm safe. In competition, not prohibited. Green light. Out of competition, not prohibited. Green light. So I've got it. I can prove it. So yes, the drugs make me slow anyway. So <laughs> And make me fat, actually. Um, so I don't think there would be a problem with it. But that's my mindset. I needed to make sure that I had my goals in the right place. and It was making sure that the medication wasn't going to make me not compete. (laughs) never mind getting better. But yeah, um, I'm three months, 16 days in. Um, Tomorrow will be three months, 17 days in. Last Friday was a terrible day. Um, I slept most of last Friday. Um, Today, I uh, did the washing. I had an interview and I came here. Tomorrow, I'm meeting a friend. I don't know what's happening. I don't have a job anymore. I quit my job by choice um, because it wasn't... It wasn't helping me get better. I needed to put that behind me to progress. So um, the rawness of it is I suffer from depression. I'm a cyclist who loves being on the bike. I don't always want to get on the bike. Uh, I don't have a job, but I'm not worried about that because I will come. Uh, Today was a good day. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like, but ask me tomorrow and I'll tell you I'm not worried about it right now. Uh, It's about getting through each minute of each day. And for those guys that are watching on Facebook, for those guys and girls that are sitting here, if you're suffering from symptoms that aren't normal, you've got to tell somebody, um, because it's not normal. The stuff I've told you tonight is real, and, and people can help you with that. And I think the stigma with depression and something of being taboo and silent, it's got to end. Um, there's help for it. It doesn't end your life. It starts there. It starts the next chapter. And, uh, and so if you've heard something tonight that, that touches a nerve somewhere, do something about it, chat to somebody um, we're in a culture now where things like this should be accepted I was on the train on the way here, I'll get finished now and there was an advert on the wall that said um, something about no discrimination it was, uh, I'm a, a man, I'm a woman uh, I'm a white man, I'm a black man uh, I'm a this and a that and, this. and at the last point it said I'm a, I'm a depressive and I kind of looked at I thought you know, you do get put in a box. You do get put in a box. But it's because people put you in a box that it means that they're talking about it, they're thinking about it, and so let's do something about it. Thank
2: you. Bruce, thank you. Please put your hands together. We're going to hand the microphone over to Adele Mitchell now, of course, fashion and cycling writer, blogger and journalist.
3: So over to you for your story, Adele. Um, I guess my story is slightly a different angle on um, mental health in that I discovered cycling about 20 years ago. Oh, no, 15 years ago. Um, I had three small children under the age of five at that point and had lost myself, which is quite easy to do when you have children that age. Um, And I got on a plane to go skiing, lucky me, Um, And It was an easy jet plane, and the um, ratio in front of me was open on a page um, for the London Triathlon, and I looked at it, and I thought, well, I can run, and I can swim, and I can ride a bike. I couldn't do any of them to any degree of skill, and I wasn't fit, but I thought, I'm going to enter that. Um, And that year, I did do the London Triathlon. Despite having three children under five, <laughs> um, hated the swimming. Running, I could take or leave. Cycling totally fits. I loved the cycling. I'm um, very fortunate to live in an area where there is abundant mountain biking. Um, that is what I do. Um, so I started to ride my mountain bike more and more. I actually rode London triathlon on a mountain bike. <laughs> <That's wrong>. um, <laughs> More and more cycling, I, I, I made friends through mountain biking, um, skills developed, I got a lot fitter, mountain biking became something that I did three, four times a week. Um, I'm a journalist, um, at the time I was writing about health and beauty, um, expert on the skull, and um, although I'd done that for a long time, I knew it wasn't going to be the, you know, the whole of my career. And through social media, I started to write about my mountain biking, and then one thing led to another, as it often happens with three months journalism. And I was approached to write for Total Women's Cycling, and started to do that, and have written for all sorts of titles since, um, including single track. I write for Evans, um, lots of different titles about women's mountain biking. So I am passionate about cycling because it kind of helped me to find me again after a period of my life where I'd been totally immersed in looking after small children. Um, I made new friends, I got really fit. It enabled me to be outside. i would previously been a very keen horse rider and I think there's a sort of crossover there in the, that challenge that, that sport brings and the opportunity to be outside is just a really wonderful combination. I think we're meant to be in the woods. This is my hippie moment. I think we're meant to be in the woods. We come from the woods. It's good for us to be amongst the trees. Having a sort of micro adventure in your own little wilderness, even if you're only actually in Surrey. So it's gone on, and it's been wonderful. And then social media really came along. And as a journalist, a freelance journalist, you really need to be using Instagram, and you need to be doing Facebook and Twitter. And I started to notice on Instagram there was a kind of shift in how mountain biking was being represented. And instead of focusing on the mental health, the fitness, the climbing the hills, that had all gone. And it had all become about posting pictures of yourself getting air. Nothing else mattered as long as you had two wheels off the ground. And then the other thing is your injuries (laughs) achieved whilst getting air. Um, All about being a hardcore athlete who showed no fear. that wasn't my experience of mountain biking. I, I really admire everybody, by the way, who's talked about cycling and crying. Because you can't ride a mountain bike and cry. <laughs> One, you can't see where you're going. And two, the hills are just too steep. You can't breathe and cry. How on earth That's that such a skill. <laughs> So I kind of wanted to pull back and go, you know what, this isn't what mountain biking means to me. And I think it's going to put more people off than involve them. So I wrote a post in the summer on my own blog about a particular route that I cannot navigate um, because it's just too technically beyond me. And I have been taken there by really experienced riders, and they've gone, this is what you do, just lift the bars. Da, 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 da. I've watched my friends do it. I cannot do it. And I wrote a post about how that made me feel because I wanted to just come back and go, you know what, it's not all jumping over the ravines in the sunset. Uh, <laughs> It made me feel awful that I couldn't do it. And I really started to think about, why can't I do it? Why am I, what is, what am I bothered about here? And what is frightening me about this? And even though I have been injured riding a mountain bike, I'm injured quite badly, um, that wasn't what was frightening me. What was frightening me was being the one in the group that couldn't do it. And how they would feel about me because of that. Um, I think being the one at the back... Is, is a universal fear, and I'm just reading a really great book which actually says, Don't worry about feeling like you're the one at the back and feeling bad about it because you're meant to feel bad about it because a million years ago you would have been the one that was eaten.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Nobody wants to be the one at the back. Um, so I posted this post, and then I can't wait for everyone to go, We thought you were good at cycling not following you anymore. But that isn't what happened. I've had such a response from people going, thank you for saying that because I feel like that too. And I don't understand why I can't do things when everybody else can. One wonderful post from a girl who, um, on Instagram, who had published a picture of herself actually riding an Enduro and making a really good job of it. But had put, I'm just posting this because this morning I was sitting in my van crying. Because I was so frightened of what I was going to do today and making a fool of myself. And then she said, she mentioned my post and a couple of other things. And she said, you know what, I've pulled myself together and I'm gone, I'm doing this for me. And that's what's important. And if I finish this day knowing that I've done my best, that's good enough. Um, So I just kind of wanted to reclaim the the whole thing. You know, I'm 53. And I'm still worried about what's on Instagram. So how on earth are people who are much younger and coming into it feeling? You know, I'm supposed to be old enough to be above all these things. No, I'm not. I'm going, oh my. And as we said earlier, I'm also guilty of going out and thinking I really re- need a really rad photograph of myself here. I'm married to a photographer, Paul Addison, stand there on the side of the trail with, with an iPhone, which he hates using because it's so beneath him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, i just do it again, because I have not dropped my heels enough that time. You know, and, and over and over again, trying to get this great post. i been casually posting it, like, yeah, this just happened. No, it didn't. I've tried many of times. So I'm kind of, let's, let's just get it real. And, um, and, and just remember why we all do this, which I, I met a guy on last week who was a 73-year-old mountain biker um, on an e-bike and see mountain bikers in the woods were all a bit like "Hmm, see you're on an (laughs) e-bike and he said to me when I do ride my normal bike he said but it tires me out and I'd rather come out more often on an e-bike than less often on my normal mountain bike he said because I like being in the woods because it's good for my mental health so that's where we need to get back to I think Thank you so much. Please put
2: your hand for Joe Mitchell. Now well, we're going to have a that way. It's no
6: gosh a black dog season. Thank you. Thank you. Just to say first, very inspiring and um, it's really interesting to hear other people's perspectives and what's happened to them. I, I think what I'd like to do is just talk a bit about me uh, and, and what how I experienced this and then to talk really about black dog. and Cycle um, I I don't remember a time where I haven't woken up feeling crap. I mean, basically, I'd say probably five days out of seven in a week, I feel rubbish when I wake up. I feel, and it's I, you know I listen to to what you were talking about, and, and I hear uh, you know when I'm talking to, to my friends about this people who are suffering, this cloud coming on to people, and it, and it being a, something they go through. I feel like every morning and I have done as long as I can remember or most mornings there's just this thing on me that's I've got to almost fight this thing to get into the day and it just hangs over everything it hangs over me it hangs over my perspective and I think like a lot of people I've spoken to who who, who've experienced this it you go through life and you think if I am successful if I am popular if I look good, if I am X Y and Z, this will go. But actually, it doesn't work like that. And and so specifically, I've been prescribed uh, antidepressants since the age of uh, since 20, I think, since university. And but to this day, I've never taken one. And the funny thing is, it's cyclical. I go. I, I get up most mornings, I feel terrible, I have to do exercises, it's one of the only ways I can combat it, then I feel okay. I, I tell the doctors about this and immediately they say, well you need, this is an issue, you need to deal with your anxiety, you need to deal with your depression, go on a course of, of antidepressants." and at each time I just think, no I, I can beat this. And it's just it's just carried on in in this cyclical way where I get it feels like it's getting better and better and then suddenly it, it gets worse. I go back to the doctor and I think I'll have these tablets here. I'll look at them but I won't take them. And um, it's had some quite big impacts in my life. Um, I, I would safely say that up until the age of kind of thirty, I'm forty now. Up until the age of thirty, I was scared to be myself. You know, part of this anxiety that I woke up with was. What is this cloud in front of you? What does that make me? How can I get beyond this? And medicating myself in different ways, through alcohol, through drugs. And, and really, from, from 30, just being so exhausted, just exhausted of this cycle. And, and then it was about you know, achievement. You know, can I do this? Can I do that? Can I reach the top of my profession? Can I run a successful business? About four years ago, I, I closed a, a very successful business that I was running because I was exhausted because it was successful, and yet every other day I would wake up feeling awful. And so I've always done exercise and I've always done a mixture of, of things running, cycling, tennis. and to the point I think I got to the point where I shut down the business and I just thought, I used to have to cycle, I remember I used to have to cycle to work, wherever I, the office was I would cycle there, purely because I couldn't function in there, any other way. I would have to have that 45 minutes of, 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 of getting myself going in order to be able to face anyone, to be able to face the day. And but it is exhausting, as I say. So I closed my business and I just took t- two years off and I... I Tried. I mean, I didn't try. I mean, all of these things help. Don't get me wrong. I did a lot of meditation. I did a lot of CBT, mindfulness, um, anything but the drugs. Essentially, that I've, you know, that that I have. I have. They're always there, an updated packet. Um, And it's really, it is. It's it's just absolutely exhausting. And I've changed my diet. I've become. I was vegan for a while. I was vegetarian. I am vegetarian. Um, and, and really the thing I've come to realise at 40 is that it, it, and it sounds ominous and it sounds sad but actually it's quite liberating for me and I don't know if this will help but it's the truth um, I've just accepted that it's not going to it's not going to go I mean maybe if I do take the drugs eventually maybe it will go but I just it, I don't feel like it's going to go entirely and I think that the things that I do in my life that help, I just need to be very focused on. So yes, meditation helps. Mindfulness helps. This year, I started taking cycling a lot more seriously. Not just cycling to work, but actually making it something I do for those five days out of seven. It really helps me. Um, it really it means I can have a, a normal day. I described it to someone the other day as, I can get to ambivalent, ambivalent is my A game, you know, I normally sit below that, but if I do the right things I can get to to ambivalent, I'm I'm cool with that. So this sounds quite depressing, but actually talking about it for the first time with people, only really this year, apart from talking therapy that I've done before, started talking, finding myself, because I've taken up cycling more and more, talking to friends on the bike about it. And it's funny, um, I was saying to someone I'm working with the other day, when I'm on the bike, I feel like I can open up more. And I wonder why that is. Is it because there's endorphins? Is it because, you know, uh, I don't know, because we're friends and we're out and we're not in near where I live or we're out in the countryside or in the hills? And, and they said there's actually a, there's actually a study um, which shows that that men, and this is obvious, when they're side by side can open up a lot more than when they're looking at each other. Um, and it's something as simple as that which I've really found has been incredibly helpful. And um, so we we and J- uh, my friend Jamie's down here who's part of Black Dog, and we we were the group of us just talking about this, cyclists, and just, you know, and, and then suddenly it's, it's that thing where someone talks about it, someone says, actually, me too. And, and so there's a, there's a group of us who I wouldn't, if you, if you had to get, ask me to pick people who are depressed, they would be probably the last people. You know, they are all the things that I aspire to be, and, and yet they suffer from, from depression and anxiety. So to bring it to back Black Dog and what we're what we're trying to do, we we are in the process of launching Black Dog Cycle Club. Black Dog being what Win, uh, sure a lot of you know what Winston Churchill used to call his depression, and say it's the Black Dog. Um, and we just want to sort of create a, an, an identity where you can have a Black Dog sticker, you can have a chainstay sticker, whatever. Producing some.
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
4: Apparel as
6: well. And you can wear it, you can put a sticker on your bike. And it just means, it's just a signifier to say, if you want to talk, I'm here. If you want to do it when we're in the hills and we're side by side and you feel more comfortable because you're a man and you're macho and it's easier that way then all the better equally you know anyone who wants to talk and it's just almost something where we want to say to to your point actually that it's okay to talk about this in this day and age more and more people are coming out and talking about mental health and it doesn't matter who you are what you look like or where you're from if this is something you're going through you know I'm in and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to to talk to you So, essentially, that's my story, Um, whether it helps or not, I'm not sure, but uh, Black Dog is coming, so if it's something that you you want to know more about or you want to to get involved in, then please,
5: we'd love to have you.
2: Thanks. Thank you so much. Now, we're going to hand over to Cycling presenter, blogger, journalist, author now as well, the book coming very soon, it's Jules John Walker.
7: Hi, everyone. Um, First off, I want to say that it means a lot to be up here with all of you, and it means a lot that you've all come to listen to this as well. Uh, I may end up going off on a tangent, so for that I apologise, refusing. And I'm going to talk about myself, and I'm going to talk about my depression, and I'm going to talk about the fact that I've started to be honest about it, because that's something that I hadn't done for a very long time, especially with my cycling so I don't know if any of you know me or follow me on social media but I tweet on Instagram under Lady Bella. and I started to be quite honest on there quite recently about my depression because it has come back, it never really went away, It settled but it's definitely come back with a vengeance quite recently uh, I was actually diagnosed with depression when I was 29 and that was two years into cycling already so one of those things that was up on the board that was talking about, um, you know, you can't be unhappy when you're on a bike. Yeah, you are fucking yeah. Um, I had, I had bad times. I had seriously bad times. And at 29, when I finally got diagnosed, I knew from years before that I was suffering. I knew what the symptoms were because I grew up in a house where depression oh, was definitely a thing. So my mother suffers from depression Um, she has her up days she has her really bad days as well and I grew up around that so I knew what I was looking at and I recognised it and I didn't talk about it because that's not what we did so there's the stigma that's around depression anyway that you don't talk about mental health issues but on top of that for me there was also the stigma within Afro-Caribbean communities where you don't talk about things like that as well so I watched my mum kind of suffer in silence but take medication for it as well but we just never talked about it I'd watch her having breakdowns I'd see her having panic attacks there would be times and I'm really sorry mom if you're watching this on Facebook but she had it bad you know one of my heaviest memories that I had was coming home from school one day and finding her under the dining room table hiding and crying and having to deal with that Essentially on my own, because my brother and my sister are much older than me and they've left home, and my mum and dad, they kind of had a very rocky relationship, I didn't really have a crutch or anyone that I could lean on in that sense, so I just carried that around. And at 29, when things started to get quite bad for me, the big reveal for me came, and Sarah, you might be able to relate to this, because something that you said in your story of Total Women's Cycling is quite similar to how it happened to me. I was washing up in the kitchen with Ian, my partner, one Sunday evening, and I smashed a glass. And I lost my shit when that happened, because I was in such a bad place anyway. The glass smashed, I smashed, and he literally had to scoop me up off of the floor, because I was just crying in the kitchen. And I just told him, like, we'd been together for some time at that point, and... He knew that I had my down days, but that was when I actually told him. He was the first person I really told that things are shit. I am unhappy. I know what is wrong with me, and something has to be done. And he was the one that talked me into going to the doctor, which I definitely didn't want to do, because I knew I would then have to confront it. I would have to admit that something was wrong. And there was the absolute fear in regards to going on medication as well, because... It almost felt like that was a mark of failure if that was going to, to happen. But then I needed to recognize that I had to have help as well. So went to the doctor, had a slightly uncomfortable conversation with him. My doctor was great, but for me it was uncomfortable because I was confronting what was going on and was put on a course of Telegram. And in amongst all of this, when I started talking to to very, very close friends, so this is the most in the sense that we're talking about it now, so congratulations everyone, you know my deepest dark secrets, um, one of the things they were saying to me is, well you're on your bike, your bike's going to make you really happy, you know, you'll be able to go out and get the fresh air, you'll enjoy it, the endorphins will be amazing, and all the time I could think to myself is, putting my arse on a saddle is the last thing to I want to do there were days where I felt like I couldn't even get myself out of bed so the idea of actually forcing myself to get on the bike because that was definitely going to make me happy it was definitely going to change everything and everything was going to be sweetness and light again it wasn't but I did go through a process of listening to that and that kind of rhetoric that was around it that sport will make you better cycling will make you happier I was seeing it on social media I was seeing it in other cycling magazines It had to be true. So I went for it and I did it. And I'll be honest, it didn't help me at all because I wasn't listening to myself and what was actually going to make me happy, what I needed to do. But I still carried on doing it, thinking this is going to make everything better. And on top of that, there was the pressure of actually having to say to people within the cycling community, this isn't isn't actually working for me. This isn't what I need right now. But there's the absolute embarrassment and humiliation of not feeling great about it and being within the industry as well made it difficult to say anything. So we were talking before about social media and some of the messages that are put out there and cycling publications or what have you that's there where the pressure feels like it's really hard. And especially when you're sitting there scrolling through Instagram, Looking at all of your friends or, you know, close acquaintances having an amazing time out on their bikes or doing laps around Regents Park or climbing Box Hill. And there's part of me that's just like, you know what, I kind of like to be out there with you doing it. I'm not as good as you, so it'll probably be a bad idea if I went out there and did it and it's not going to make me happy. I will then make you miserable because I will be having a bad time and everyone's going to hate me. That was the kind of irrational thought process that was going through my head. So for me, actually being insular and staying away from people is what I ended up doing too. But the problem again was I'm not talking about it. And I'm not seeing other people within cycling talking about it. Maybe they're not comfortable to talk about it. It doesn't feel like it's an environment where it feels like you can have those conversations because if you do you end up looking like a failure or you're doing something wrong or this isn't for you and that for me just seemed to breed this culture of keeping quiet and I just felt like I couldn't do that anymore I just started to to use my social media to actually be a bit more honest about it and being here this evening is a huge deal to be able to talk about it and be completely honest too because again everything looks and sounds like it's rosy you know I've gone into cycling as a full time thing so you know as you know I'm doing a book Irene and my editors in the audience um, writing a book and I'm being painfully honest about the stuff that's happened there too so you know I remember when I first told people that I was going to be writing a book There was the first thought of, oh, she's doing a book on cycling and style. There's a bit of that in there, but not a hell of a lot. Or she's going to talk about all of the, the wonderful rides that she's done and all of the things that she's conquered. There's a bit of that in there too. But I'm talking about the mental side of it that I conquered as well and what I needed because I think it's so desperately needed to have those conversations and to be honest about it instead of painting everything to be rosy. So... You know, for me, last year, one of the things that knocked me back quite badly was having um, a mini-stroke, and that changed a lot for me. That slowed me down in every way possible, and I needed to stop, and I needed to recognise that something was wrong. And the, the reason for that stroke was, was stress. There was a history of, of stroke in the family, but this is people that were in like, their 70s and their 80s in my family that are having a stroke. So at 33 years old, that was insane that that happened. And I knew I was putting myself under immense pressure at work, because at that point I was working in the cycling industry. Immense pressure to have this persona that I wanted to present to people that everything was wonderful. That wasn't doing me any favours. I was just chipping away at myself slowly, and yet just slapping a mask on, and just pretending that everything was okay. And eventually that did lead to a burnout. And, you know, I, I... always said to myself there is every single chance that I may end up back on my medication again um, I still have a prescription for it I held on to my last box of telepram as well as just a reminder which sounds a bit morbid but I keep it in my vanity case and every now and then I do have a look at it and remember that I was at that point and there is absolutely no shame if I end up at that point all over again because I know they helped me Talking to people helped me as well. People being aware that that was going on with me was essential as well and not to have the stigma or the embarrassment or the shame of talking about it and not being ashamed of the fact that there are some days where if I don't want to go out on my bike, if I don't want to be riding with friends, if I don't even want to be riding with Ian, that's okay. That's absolutely fine. I'm not a badass. I've never said that I was ever a badass, but there was just this feeling that that's how you're supposed to portray yourself and I'm tired of doing that it was exhausting and I learned the hard way last year when I ended up in hospital with that stroke don't lie to yourself don't burn yourself out you know even just checking in on people as we were saying before just to check in on your friends make sure they're okay if they've disappeared off the radar for a while perhaps they have wanted to do that pick up a phone send a text message Talk. So all you need to do is talk because it makes such a huge difference. And being up here and talking to you is making a massive difference to me right now. She says pulling her eyes out <laughs> But it means a lot. It does absolutely mean a lot. And um one of the things, and I don't know if I'm going to run, but I'm going to talk about it, is how secretive I have been certain things with my cycling as well. So I've been blogging for seven years. I've been riding bikes for seven years. I started off on the Pashley, ended up riding a bit of track, some fixed gear. I haven't done mountain biking yet. Adele, we're going to have to do that at some stage. Oh, thanks. (laughs) But um, the one thing that happened a few weeks ago on my way to a big ride was I had my first ever puncture. Now, I've been riding for seven whole... Years. (laughs) Years. <laughs> I don't know, babes. I don't know. It just hadn't happened. I look after my bikes to a degree. <laughs> so I'm precious with my bikes, but not precious enough that I actually know how to maintain them properly. So the puncture happened. We were, it was me and Ian, as always, riding along together. We're on our way to go and do the uh, Stroke Association ride. We're basically riding to go to Waterloo to get the train. CS3, fine. Get across the A100, fine. Great Tower Street, where the walkie-talkie is, on the bike. All of a sudden, I just feel like I'm going like this as I'm riding. And I'm like, "Oh, this is different. Not felt that before. And I kind of shouted to Ian, because he's ahead of me, Ian! Something feels a bit weird with my bike, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> Hang on. He looks back, and he just kind of signals to me, like, pull over. So I do. And he's like, oh, congratulations, you've got your first ever puncture. And I was like, oh, it's the fact that I didn't even recognise that's what had happened. It Just the bike felt weird. That's all I knew. And immediately, it's like, you know, we had the inner tubes, we had the tyre the levers, we had the multi tool. Did I know what to do with it? No. Immediately, I did not know what to do. And I kind of, I cycle shamed myself with this as well, because when it happened, Ian, the gentleman that he is, stepped in and did it because I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. I literally did have all the gear and no idea what to do with it. And that's that's not a lie. It was just let him do it, took a picture of him doing it, put it on social media and just said first ever puncture, my boyfriend is changing it for me, because I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And that was the kick that I needed, actually having a puncture, and instead of just riding on sheer luck to, to do something about it. So I'm now doing a course with London Bike Kitchen on basic introduction to maintenance. And there's that whole thing of, shit, girl, you've been cycling for seven years, and you're now doing a basic course Yes, I am, because <laughs> I, I, I would admit I didn't want anyone to know that I wasn't skilled on that at all. I was constantly surrounded by people that were helping me do that. I had my partner that would step in. That was amazing. I worked in the industry, so even when we were playing off and going and doing photo shoots and that, my bike was being broken down for me by the guys in the office and built when we got to the other end to do the shoot as well. And all I wanted to do was dive in and go for it, and I couldn't. And it was the embarrassment that it had rolled on for so long that I couldn't say anything about it. So I just let that slide. And now I'm at the point where I am a grown-up. I probably should have known to have done this a long time ago, and I'm holding my hand up now. And even being able to say that out loud feels really good that I'm doing a maintenance course. But again, it's just that whole thing of being honest with yourself, talking to each other as well and listening and maybe not letting the pressure that can be around inside crush you so I'm going to keep on talking, I'm going to keep on being honest I'm going to keep on learning and I'm always going to remember that I do suffer from depression it doesn't define me but I accept that it's part of who I am thank you
2: thank you, thank you so much because we've obviously had so many points, but something that I've picked up on that everybody's touched upon this evening already is that fear of failure in cycling. You you have this upwards drive, you perhaps, as you did, Sarah, you start racing, and there's so much positivity that comes from that. But I think we've all had it, I've certainly had it, where you you start to build up this fear of going out maybe with the club run or the race that you plan to go to because you see, especially on social media, everybody else saying, oh, you know, I've barely trained and then they turn up and they smash it and you're that person that's suddenly on the back foot. How do you deal with that pressure? What would be your advice? I'd probably go and train on my own. I've been doing that quite a lot recently, partly because... My job is sort of fairly in, intense and uh, I don't think I sort of flagged this up earlier, but in the last four years I've been working in mental, in mental health, um, uh, coordinating a, a social support project for people who've been through psychological therapy services with the NHS and actually I think at the moment um, I, I've sort of manoeuvred myself out of, of those sort of situations where I'm feeling awkward about being off the bat, who we've talked about kind of issues when you can't perform in the way that you might have done in the past and how difficult that is whether that's kind of injury whether it's, it's mental health related um, and, and being able to kind of face that long kind of slog maybe to get back to where you were um, and I think that it comes up again and again about perhaps being honest with yourself and just being able to re- um, be aware and to, to recognize what's going on but also, I mean, it's a bit of a buzzword in mental health at the moment, but being able to practice a bit of self-compassion because it's so easy to slip into that guilt in yourself, to use those obligation statements of, oh, I should be doing this. Um, I, I, I ought to be better. Um, and to allow yourself a bit of space to, to step back and go, okay, well, it's like this today. It's not going to be like it for the you know, foreseeable future. Um and be able to kind of be a bit more sort of present. Um, but I think it's uh, sometimes it's sort of just perhaps going off and finding your own space within cycling or even something that I've experienced um, in the last few years. I mean, i was doing racing for a bit, um, but it, when I first started racing, uh, the people who were sort of turning up at the first races, we were all pretty much on an even keel. We were perhaps good club riders. Um, might on a few sporties and suddenly go, okay, we're going to give this racing arc a go. Um, now if you turn up to race, there's a chance people who have trained right through the winter, they probably have a coach, and it might be probably half my own age. Um, and it's a question of readjusting your boundaries because you can't always say, well, I can expect to best the field in a new one, two, three, four race um, if they are putting more hours in because I, my life has changed, and it's a so different... I think it's, it's a real sort of, it can be a real wake-up um, and it's very tough to sort of come to terms with that a lot of the time uh, and it's very, very easy to kind of um, slide into that sort of why aren't I good enough, why aren't I performing, why why can't I hang on to the back of the field. Um, but it's it's realising that a lot of people are doing sort of similar things and probably kind of going through similar thought paths to you as well. Um, but they're probably all kind of doing the secret training, um, or not. Um, But I think, you know, take joy from other elements of it, whether it's uh, the social side of cycling, or whether it's investigating a maintenance class, um, maybe coming at it from a slightly different angle. You know, for a lot of people it's difficult through the winter because it takes much more energy to get out the front door and get out on the bike. Um, I tend to rely on turbo classes during the winter, they kind of save my sanity when the, the mic goes um, because you can get kind of quality hour of, of training um, rather than thinking, oh, well, I want to go out for kind of two, three hours on the mic at the weekend or something like that. So it's just sort of finding what's out there and kind of taking it to, I guess. Um, but also giving yourself a bit of space to be self-compassionate when, you know, you, you might be feeling particularly sort of drained, you might be particularly tired, you might be at that point where someone asks you to want a tea or a coffee and you're like I can't make a decision because my brain my cognitive dysfunction is that I, dysfunction is that I can't actually make any sort of decisions myself moment. and uh, to put aside that, that and give yourself a bit of time and yeah be kind to yourself and I think again so many of us here will have had that moment in whatever cycle scenario where you think you're the only one suffering right and, and you You just kind of get to that point where you say, do you know what, I'm cracking, guys, this pace is too hard, I'm struggling, I'm suffering. How many people turn around and go, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I really, really want
3: to ease off the pace. But
2: no one wants to be the first to say it. And I'd like everyone to kind of expand with their advice here. Do you often find, as Jules was saying earlier, by talking about it, Adele, actually a lot of people say, me too, I'm I'm struggling.
3: Um, I really do, yes. Uh, but someone's got to say it first. Um, <laughs> so, um, I I think one great piece of advice, what I find works for me is is who I ride with is really important. Um, so there are, when I first started, there weren't that many women who rode, so you'd often end up, end up, would often go out and ride with men. Um, they would be more experienced, fitter, stronger, so largely you wouldn't see what they were doing because they disappeared, so you would sort of struggle around on your own. Um, Started to ride with women and and that's that's great, but the the thing I think which is most important when you're riding with women or men is that you ride with people who are kind of in a similar ballpark of experience to you. So, because I think you find that if you see someone who's really good doing a technical descent, for instance, you can really admire what they're doing but you can't imagine how you will ever do the same thing if you uh, see someone who you ride with and you think you're kind of similar level doing it then that gives you the confidence to have a go Um, I ride sometimes with a a women's group um, locally who are called the Surrey Hills Mountain Bike Chicks (laughs) Uh, they got together because um, Hope who make mountain bike components um, have got an initiative where they're organising women's rides around the country. Uh, They did one in my local area, and the women that turned up, I think 50 women turned up to do it, which is a lot for mountain biking. Um, And we all decided that we would kind of keep in touch on Facebook, and it's now become quite an established group. Uh, And there's a whole variety of of abilities within that group. but when we get together, it's a really supportive ride because the women who are exceptionally good are kind of willing to show everybody what to do rather than show off. Uh, and, um, and it's a very supportive group because you get all sorts of levels within that group. So I think it's really important that you ride with the right people. Um, And now, I suppose the great thing about it, now there are more people riding, it's easier to find those groups.
2: We've been talking for a while, so at this point I'm going to say, has anyone got any questions? I'm sure there's lots to come this evening. Who wants to ask first? And if not, do we have any coming in on social media?
4: Okay. Yeah. I'm
5: Um, so, I have a wife who uh, is, is at, not anti-medication, but she'll question a lot what, what medication uh, the benefits are. Uh, and, and I'm kind of probably from, from a culture growing up where if you prescribe medication, it's probably for a good reason. So, you know, the doctor's much cleverer than I am, so I'm going to take it. Um, I think it got to a point for me where I decided to take my medication where I've kind of done everything else. I tried every avenue, I tried talking therapy, I tried um, other things and, and and I was just at a point where it was what what next um, and so and so I started taking medication um, and for me, I think a lot of nervousness is in it i won 't lie to you and and the side effects were grim and there was times where I thought maybe I should stop um, but you kind of when you start to see the the way that you feel afterwards for me, um, it was such a different, such a flip side in who I was. Um, it, it wasn't It wasn't that it suddenly created a new Bruce. It's that it helped me to work through mentally, I think that a little bit of mental stability to start to make decisions. I was able to kind of be calm enough to, to see through the cloud, as it were, and make decisions about um, what shirt I was going to wear in the morning or, you know... Would I watch TV or would I type on my laptop? It was just basic decisions that the medication helped me work through. And um, one of the side effects from being ill for me was that I wasn't sleeping. And so I was taking sleeping tablets as well. The doctor suggested that I take those because um, I wasn't getting any sleep and that doesn't have any good impact on your mental health either. And so I'd been taking those for a while, on and off, trying to get a sleep pattern going. And she said, Well, actually, there's another antidepressant you can take, which actually if you take it at night, it would help you. And I did a bit of research on that one, and the side effects and things from that I didn't really agree with. And so I put that one in the drawer and decided that I was going to try and work through the sleep issues myself. But the positives of actually being able to wake up in the morning that the other drug was giving me um, kind of surpassed the thought process of should I solve that one or not. So I think I'm on, on two camps, as it were, for that. But I can definitely say I don't think it's right or wrong, but I think for me the benefits of t- having tried everything and getting to that point, point. Um, and actually it wasn't just the, the drugs that I think was the benefit. I think it was the person that issued me the drugs. I think the doctor talked through everything with me and my wife. She explained what it was, what did we do, what the side effects were, the positives, the negatives, how long, how much. Did I think I could take less? Do I think I could take more? And when we left the surgery, I felt more informed than any Google or any book could have told me. She talked it through, and it was like she said, it, it happened like. And I think that, for me, was was comforting, um, in that we were working together with a practitioner. I actually knew, I felt they knew what they were talking about. Again, that's my personal experience, but...
6: Can I ask you a question, actually? Because I've never met anyone else who's done this. No um, what, what have you done to to not take them in?
4: i awesome.
6: Yeah, I mean it's really interesting because yeah. <laughs> so when I was young, when I was at university, and uh, I prescribed them, I, it's not even that it made it makes no sense because it's not even that I thought, oh, if I take these, I'm going to become a zombie, or it's bad for my health, because I would just do every other drug going under the sun, or or, or alcohol, or what have you. So it wasn't even. I don't know. It's almost like it's symbolic, um, like you're giving up. Um, it's really interesting to hear what you say because I've never had it the other side. So really interesting. <laughs> An odd thing happened. The last time I, I was prescribed uh, antidepressants because it got bad, and I, it's almost like a, that is part of my recovery. That I go to the doctor, I say I can't take this anymore, I'm doing lots of exercise, I've got a great diet, blah, 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 what else? And he says, well, got on antidepressants. The last time that happened was in January. And I took the prescription to the chemist. And I bought the antidepressants. And I was just paying for them. And I paid. And I was just getting on to go. And one of the other chemists, who wasn't serving me, but had just, I don't know, I'd been talking to him, He came in and he said, are you sure you want those? And I thought, "This is this is an intervention. What's going on here? This is really happen now and it's a bit like highway to heaven or something I've got so proper intervention and um, so he said because the mid, because I'm this is my pharmacy and I've seen so many people including doctors come in with the dosage that you're getting to kick them off five years later they're on way higher dosage and they're no better and they're just dependent on on those have you thought about other ways and I said well funny you should say that Um, yeah, 20 years of other ways to deal with it. And he said, you know what you should do? You should, I'll refund you those. Just take these instead. And he gave me a load of um, supplements. So um, just vitamin supplements. Ones you take at night, magnesium that you take before you go to bed. Uh, Vitamin D replacement because obviously we we suffer with short days and uh, during the winter and and lack of light. That's a big issue for me. Something I didn't talk about earlier, but the lack of daylight, the lack of of sunshine, it gets a lot worse uh, during the winter. And I try, so I said, great. So I took them away, and it's a little bit like, and I don't know how, how this works with you, but it's a little bit like the yoga, the meditation, the mindfulness. I do it really religiously for about a month, and then I forget, and then it kicks the cycle off again. And so that may well be a solution. to to do it that way but I just never have the resilience or the I never stick with it long enough I don't think the only thing and this is very pertinent to to why we're all here but the only thing that works that I do religiously is cycling because it's it's such an immediate impact for me literally half an hour in and the black dog's lifted to a degree uh, which, which gets better and better so yeah
2: Sarah, do you want to expand on that topic? Um, just to sort of go back about the uh, possible sort of issues about why you don't take them, I think certainly that when I started taking them, uh, that it was, it was a bit of a revelation that I was one of those people who took antidepressants, someone that I'd never considered that I was before, and so it was a bit of a, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have a really good GP at the time, and I, you know, a lot of it does depend on having a very, uh, good uh, doctor that you Discussing um, through thoroughly, and we sort of discussed the possibility of going on antidepressants. But I think at the time, for me, it was that was something that I needed to get myself out of the pit because I couldn't start my recovery proper until I could function at a sort of fairly basic level, and the antidepressants allowed me to do that. So, and I was I'd been on and off. Oxygen for about 13, kind of, like, 14 years, I suppose. The last six months I've actually phased off them, and it's been the first time I've been off them for a while for um, some years. Um, and yes, there are the last few boxes that I'm keeping hold of. Um, if anyone needs any, yeah. drop your um, But yeah, I can't kind of throw them away. So I think they're kind of, it's kind of like a safety net, just, just in case things get so bad that maybe, just maybe, um, but having, you know, gone on and off them of intermittently for a few years, I kind of, you know, I do know the pattern of um, when it gets bad, and even in terms of the side effects that what I can expect and how long it's going to kick in, and also about phasing off them. And even though I might need them for kind of several years ago or have done in the past, that there's always that aim towards okay, when I'm feeling kind of on top of things again, I can start sort of dropping the dose down. Um, to the point where it's not really, they're not being that effective. I mean, certainly I find that in that immediate sort of pit where the depression is at worst, they're really effective. But then once you started to recover, it says, well, I'm getting up and down, ups and downs anyway. And like you said, it's kind of trying to learn to kind of go with those um, and knowing that you know, recovery is not a lovely kind of upward curve. Um, where you just get better and better and better, there's lots of lumps, lumps along the way, it's kind of learning how to, to write those as you go on. Thank you again, sir. To... Yes, we've got a question at the bottom. I'd like to uh, talk again about what you've actually been talking about. Um, I was prescribed as a few years ago, and I found that they may be not very good. I mean, think people's life is
1: stabilized
5: I of this act, Right. it's not The best
4: thing I've ever done, because I've not suffered It's almost like they were keeping me, constantly keeping me down. And uh, i find, right. if I, if I if right now, do,
5: by now, I'm very lucky. really tough.
2: So much. Does anyone want to expand on that at all? Just down the line here. Well, I was going to say. Um,
7: that's brilliant that you're able to, to have that. And I know, you know, when I was talking about how cycling and depression and it works together for me, I do have my moments where getting out on the bike is one of the best things that I, I can do, and it does help me. Um, but I know when it came to me confronting it and realizing all those years ago when I finally got diagnosed I know I was I was running away from it that's what I was doing I was completely running away from it I didn't want to confront it and just like you were saying Sarah it's realizing you're one of those people that's going to be taking medication and I know when I started my the side effects because it took about what four to six weeks or so for it to actually kick into the system was horrible I was feeling sick I was tired, which was slightly refreshing because I wasn't sleeping that well, which sounds weird, but it was just, it was the absolute knackeredness that came with it and all I wanted to do was was sleep when I was taking them and just the grogginess that came with it. But they did start to make me feel better. They didn't cure what was going on with me, but I know that that was a step that I needed to take. I was on them. I was on them for some time, and then I knew I made the decision when I was at a certain level that felt comfortable for me, I wanted to come off of them. So my dosage was lowered, um, and gradually I was weaned off of them, and I did hang on to to the box. I can't take them because they expired in 2015, so I'm still hanging on to them because it's just a reminder. But I know, and I'm lucky that I do also have the option as well of getting on the bike going getting the fresh air if it's not a stressful situation because sometimes cycling in London is the last thing that I want to be doing if I'm feeling stressed out but I can get on the bike at my own pace but I also know that I have the option of not getting on the bike if that doesn't work for me as well so again for me it's just recognising pressure not applying pressure to myself and also because of what I've been through with my depression being able to recognize the signs and the symptoms when something is coming on which is what's going on with me at the the moment but I recognize that something was up and I just started talking about it again so it's it's just doing what is right for you if getting on on the bike makes you happy if it's gonna raise your endorphins if you're in a position where you don't have to go on medication or have to rely on that, then, then that's amazing. And that's brilliant that you're able to, to do that. But there's also no shame or no stigma if you have to go down the other route as well. But it's basically finding the level ground for yourself that works for you. Thank
2: you, Jill. Oh, yeah, one okay, so question. Um, I actually saw
5: Uh, offering bikes for service units uh, with health and vocational support and also a
4: roster of trained uh, practitioners. Um, but what I actually wanted to share with you is that um, something that may help in terms of medication. Uh, my mother was lifelong bipolar and in and out of psychiatric
6: care, five sections of mm-hmm. brain care. And after her second breakdown, um, when I was 16, um, um, 40 years ago, there wasn't the internet. And I went to go see, actually, after school, uh, my uh, chemistry teacher, to find out
4: how come this little pill that my mom took determined which mum I got on any given day. And my chemistry teacher's help with my. Geography and geology, I found out what was in this medication was lithium. And um, what I learned at that time, not many people are aware of it even now in their uh, or, or GPs. The highest concentrations
5: of lithium anywhere in the world are like in South America. In fact, Bolivia holds 70% of the world's deposits. The
4: lowest instances of mental health anywhere in the world are like South America. And where lithium is found, it's, um, core, it's a
6: core the trace element, is water. And what I learned on the journey through mental health over 40 years is that, um, for the most
4: part, um, people who are taking medications are not drink sufficient quantities of water. They may have juices to drinks, drink, um, alcohol that doesn't interfere with the medication, um, milk or whatever, juices. Usually not enough water. uh, There's a need to have more of it because we need still uh, water down to oil residue. We know in the bottles you've all got up there. We know the other things that are in there, but what's also in there is that water. And cyclists need to be hydrated. So um, there have been studies that have been done on this, and uh, I'd just say, just sharing through with just try and drink a little bit more water. I'm not saying it's a cure-all. Uh, but
2: I know where my mum was concerned and I know I've been in the psych industry for years. It helps. Thank you. Very much appreciated. And I was gonna say I'm gonna leave the questions there because I know a few people have got to nip off and ride home shortly. Um but everyone here will oh, sorry sorry, oh, is there anything else you want uh, no, I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but yes, I was going to say, tonight's panellists will be sticking around, because I know there might be some questions that people don't want to add to the whole floor, so please, please do ask away when we stick around for the next half an hour to an hour afterwards. Please do join us for a drink. Um, there are some leaflets of useful links, information, and um, we've got... Some more pamphlets and information, which we hope everyone finds helpful, just down there by the door. Um, but yes, everyone will be sticking around. So do ask away, but please join me. And once again, to say, sorry to, I, just been
6: so I, I just say one last thing. Of course, uh, Movember. My friend here is representing Movember. They're doing amazing work with mental health. I don't know if you've seen their uh, viral that they've done with cycling and mental health. It is brilliant. So uh, if you want to check that out, please do it. And it's obviously November, so support any MoBro or Mo sister uh, that you can. That's all I wanted to say. Anyone else?
2: <laughs> any, any last final words from anyone? Okay, cool. Um, thank you so much, and please put your hands together, finally. <laughs> for all tonight's panelists: Rowan, Ruth, Jules, Adele, and Gemma. And thanks to
1: everyone for being here tonight. Once again, big thank you to Sarah for this. If you like what we do, please like, rate, and subscribe. We're on iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wheelsuckerspod. If there's someone you know who might find this useful to listen to, please share it with them. If you have some comments, advice, other links, get in touch. You know what to do. Goodbye, friends!